This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Evan Sharp, the co-founder of Pinterest, where he continues to lead all design efforts. Evan studied architecture here at Columbia GSAP, and I'm very happy to welcome him back to the school as we kick off the fall 2018 semester. In the context of the school's GSAP incubator and our fourth annual incoming group of members, we're hosting a conference on labs, incubators, and colonies to explore the creative process and the value of fostering an exchange of ideas across technology and design. Evan is delivering the keynote lecture tonight, and I'm excited to speak with him in advance about his own experience and work. Thank you for joining me today, Evan. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very grateful for your interest and attention. You are a little bit of a myth around here. We're very proud Oof. of you. <laughs> Hopefully not a parable. Yeah. No, we're, you know, I think that it's been so interesting and exciting to watch you know, your evolution. And I think the school has, for the past decade, really embraced this idea of expanding practice and how architectural thinking and design can be brought to other fields. And certainly you've done that with Pinterest and, and beyond. And I wanted just to, to hear a little bit about this trajectory and how you think architecture or or being an architect has kind of shaped or or not some of the ways you've engaged in your own practice i'm not sure i'm self-aware enough to answer that perfectly but um a a few things come to mind maybe that i learned here that have made me who i am now at at work so one thing is just an ability to work really hard (laughs) that's maybe boring but You can't do architecture if you're not up all night all the time, at least in school. And so kind of teaching you what you can do, I think has really given me confidence and knowledge about what's possible. And my, you know, it's helped me push people now in my job to work harder, to be more effective and have confidence that's possible. I think a second thing is um, the ability to deal with a huge number of variables and have confidence that can actually land somewhere good. I think in, you know, internet technology world, People tend to optimize very important variables a lot, but they get overwhelmed if there are hundreds or thousands of variables. And that's where the design process is so powerful. And so I think that's particularly interesting in the context that I'm working in today. I mean, I think architecture is ultimately ultimately about shelter, right? right? And environment and about the human. And I think in technology, it's easy to forget sometimes who you're building for because you don't see them or interact with them. But so having that body memory, that the point of all of this is people, in the end, I think is really powerful. And that's something I learned here. Often it seems that social media platforms and, you know, even the notion of broadcasting is something that, you know, you put out into the world. And I often find that Pinterest is a kind of feedback loop is kind of reorganizing the world to find yourself again. There, there is a sort of very human, private, almost zen-like, or meditation, where you get lost in the, in the visuals, and then somehow you create a new structure mm-hmm. around it. And I find that quite interesting. And you talk a lot about that human connection and experience and how technology can do more to enhance that. Yeah, I think Pinterest for a lot of our users is really introspective. Most of the internet, when I talk to people, I hear a lot of people say it feels 
a lot of it's about your friends, it's about your family, it's about connecting to what's happening in the world. It's often about everything outside, and there's not, there's not a lot of tools for inside. And the impact of that, I think we're learning right now as a culture. But I think one of the things I love about what I get to do is Pinterest is a, you know, a tool for you, for your future, for your dreams, for your taste, for your aesthetic, for your creativity. And that's particularly meaningful because of the context we're operating in. And I think it's also interesting to think about experience and human experience and at the same time think about what connects us but also what separates us and what the specific versus the the generic or the the universal versus the particular. And you've recently talked about diversifying the experience online in a very important way of, you know, moving beyond what you've called the white experience online and, you know, trying to find ways to connect, but also make sure that there's a kind of personal sense. And that's very rare as an effort, isn't it? Or To kind of personalize? Yeah, to personalize and to realize that there's a sense of diversity and the kind of respect uh, of working across cultures and contexts, which you seem to have approached. Uh, well, I, I think I understand. I think um, Pinterest is very much, for most of our users, it's very much about bringing a creative set of possibilities to the things they're already doing every day, to what they're eating, what they're wearing, what their house looks like where they're traveling, or where they want to travel. And what's interesting to me is those are very common, kind of right. intrinsic human needs we all have. And as we've gone global around the world, just learning what's the same and what's different about different cultures and seeing how much we have in common. And that maybe tastes fairy. You know, like maybe avocado is really big in London last year. It's true. And really? asparagus is really big in Berlin. It's amazing maybe that you would know that. Insight. I know. <laughs> It's, it's really interesting, but I mean, but everyone is still, the behaviors are very common, yeah. right? And the tastes are different. But if you think about, I mean, if you think about architecturally, yeah. it's like we're all structured the same yes. way, you know, we're circulating the same way. Maybe the stuff's in the room is a little different, but that's a real, it's a real profound insight for me. Yeah, that's very interesting. Another aspect that I think for me is quite architectural and we're, we're so inundated with images and of course, Pinterest is about images, but you've also talked about moving beyond this kind of two-dimensional aspect of an image and finding ways to to register a story of how that image or the object or the place that it represents came to be. And you developed this kind of lens device that reorganizes things and visualizes what is behind the image. Yes. and everything from questions of embodied energy, which we've talked about as well. And, you know, like, how do we move beyond this two-dimensionality? I'm right now particularly interested in, as some, I guess, somewhat of an expert now on images yeah. and the role they play in people's yeah. lives and what that's changing in life. Not to be too yeah. specific as everyone's different, but I've, I'm coming to realize the last maybe six, 12 months that for a lot of people, words are the language of knowledge, maybe, and images are the language of dreaming. And that what's happened with, you know, this incredible access people have now to unlimited imagery and visual media is we're all becoming fluent in this language of dreaming in a way that's never been possible before, which is changing the way we form our identity starting to. Yeah, yeah. It's changing the way we formulate what we want from our home and from other parts of our life. And it's also disorienting on some level, but it's all about images. And there's a dark side to images, which is kind of what you're alluding to. And that's that they're two-dimensional 
representations of what is really a, not even a three-dimensional thing, but really a four-dimensional yes. thing if you think about it. And the, the danger there is we make decisions based on a very shallow subset of the full uh, impact of that yeah. decision and what's going to have on your life. And so that's a problem. I don't think we've solved that problem, but it's definitely top of mind. Yeah, well, I do think that collecting images maybe and stacking them and reorganizing them and thickening them does create a certain depth, right? You can get to a kind of section uh, and then somehow you have to kind of cut across to find the ties. And That's exactly uh, right. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you... You have to flip it, collect fold these it. images, yeah. but then you have an invisible imagined image of the overlap. Over of the, the overlap. And that is how people experience, yeah. I think, yeah. talking to people, media, like, like, yeah, it's really, it's really observant. So you, recently you've also talked about leading a more creative life. And I was um, been interested to hear about your concerns and opportunities with yes technology is transforming our lives and our cities and the way we interact with each other and with the world and there are some very high speed transformation coming such as automation and quote-unquote disruptions and we're still waiting for the big one in architecture which i'm sure will hit pretty soon but uh just kind of wondering a little bit about how you think we can i don't know situate ourselves a little bit Yes, I don't know that I can solve it. No, 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 <laughs> but, no, but share your yeah, yeah. thoughts. Uh, or Well, um, there's kind of a few networked ideas that are top of mind for me. And, you know, what I try and do in the talk is relate them to what I know of architecture and building, some of which comes from GSAP, some of which is just from my, yeah. you know, experience as a human living in a house and working in, a, in an office. I mean, there are a few dynamics that are interesting to me. The, the most important one which is not about architecture directly, but is very relevant, is that for me, the next frontier, at least for design, is the self. It's, yeah. it's the inner world. It's a world we don't have images for. It's our, our emotional stability, our spiritual practice. There's a whole range of dynamics that we experience every day that we don't even have language for yeah. in this culture. And the impact of that is pretty enormous because all of human behavior is driven by how we feel. And so without going too deep into it, I think that's an incredible frontier you know, I was cut my hand a couple of weeks ago at work. So I like, put a Band-Aid on it. It's great. It's a great product for when you cut your finger. And then I, and then I, and then I was really angry at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't their fault. It was all me, you know. And I was like, how the hell is it when I cut my hand, there's a product. But when I'm feeling really <laughs> overwhelmed, there's nothing, there's no products for that. Right. So I find that really interesting. But that's also relevant to, to architecture because so much of architecture is the psychological experience. You know, when I look at architecture now from the luxury of, of not being in the profession every day, what I see is the impact of visual media is definitely, definitely, it's, it's very obvious. Yeah. It seems like buildings, like a lot of things, are built for images. And that's not bad, but if it's only images, that creates problems. I mean, architecture is a language. It is visual. But so much of architecture is, is not visual. You know, I think when I think about the most meaningful architectural experiences I have as a as just a human being they're, they're lived practices right. you know and to me buildings are, like I was saying are really four dimensional and I'm just very curious how we can help architects architecture think about that problem how do we build four dimensional homes or four dimensional buildings it's almost the opposite of the way the practice works today and I'm not trying to say what happens now is bad but I think there's an opportunity I think there's a big opportunity in approaching buildings 
and ourselves well, in a much deeper way. Well, it's very interesting because, of course, well, several things. One is, uh, you know, at some point the immediacy of making disappeared, right? And, mm-hmm. you, you know, translation through drawing yes. Uh, yes. Uh, sort of started to happen. And more and more this kind of representation occurred. And there's been some attempts of everything from fabrication to modularity mm-hmm. to, you know, to kind of reconnect. I actually but, probably don't know, which we should yeah, talk about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, but I mean... 3D printing, the idea that, but but that doesn't do it either. That is still a kind of, let's say, translation. But there may be other ways, which is not about the immediacy of making, but this psychological dimension, which yes. I think is quite interesting and which we don't, maybe don't talk enough anymore about a kind of poetics or everything is about performance and either performance at the level of buildings or ideas that cities are going to be smart and <laughs> and versus the the idea that cities are incredible because you get lost and you're not exactly sure who you meet and how and uh, or you used to at least the kind of serendipity of encounter and hybrid conditions and you know maybe there's a way that we have to re-embrace a kind of surrealist approach through technology rather than use technology to be positivist (laughs) somehow. I like that. I mean, the language I would use to describe what I hear you saying is a little different, but it's the same thing. And that's, there's a spiritual dimension to buildings and to cities that's vibrant and it's essential that we don't even think about or even have language for in many ways today. And that's, people feel that at the genetic level. That's my experience. And I think we, I mean, to, to hijack what you said, well, if I back up, if architects today, if what they primarily do is draw images, yeah. and if images are the, the language of dreams, and the question then becomes, you know, what, what images are shaping people's yeah. dreams, architectural dreams? And, you know, I would argue for most folks today, their architectural dreams are shaped not by architects, but by other image makers, yes. by entertainment or by marketing departments or by... Uh, by the internet, by social media. And so the question is, if architects are image makers and they are fluent in this language of dreams, and I really believe that that, yeah. that that we are, what could we do with that responsibility and how can we be more present in helping shape the dreams that people live? Because a lot of the people who are shaping dreams today, they're not malicious, but they're not thinking about the impact those dreams have on how people live. They're thinking about something else. And I think that's a lot of that... I mean, I, that dynamic has led to kind of where we are today. And it's not bad, but it could be so much better. I think we need a vision right now as a society about the world we want to live in. That's sort of what's missing. You know, all this tech we have, the myth of tech right now is the myth of disruption. It's sort of the only myth right now of this age. And that's not a positive myth. That's a negative myth. Disruption is negative. So where is the positive dream? What is the world we want to build? Yes, and we have the capability of drawing those images, but we need to do it and we need to think about the problem. You know, and it's not just what looks good. Aesthetics are vital, but it's much deeper than that. For me, at least. Yeah, no, I think it's both inspiring and urgent <laughs> at the same time in the sense of if we did have that power, then could we produce dreams of better interrelationship between species? And, uh, you know, uh, it, I think we're faced with this moment. Certainly, I feel that architecture has not been able to... I, I think certain disciplines like urban design, urban planning even preservation, you know, all these disciplines have been able to really engage with the question of climate change, for example. But I think that we haven't, we haven't fundamentally engaged with this question at a very 
discursive fundamental level in architecture and I think the idea of returning to these dreams is maybe one way we could start somehow. I agree. I think the role of dreams is bigger than people, than architects realize. It's fundamental because our dreams are reflections of who we are. They shape our sense of what we value in ways that are very profound. But I would say as well, you know, when I look at architecture now from the lens of technology, the other critique I have is um, architects don't, or architecture generally doesn't hold itself accountable to outcomes. And I'm not trying to be critical, but, you know, I think it's the way the economic system is set up. You hand the building over and sort of done with it. And I think that really robs us architects of our agency and our authority to, to drive change. It robs us of the data we need to be more effective and potent in society. And so I don't know how to, I don't know enough about architecture to know how to solve that, but I would say it's scary to try and reach out and grab accountability for something like that because we probably don't feel like we have all the tools we need. But I also think we have a responsibility to do that and at least to try to do that, to be more accountable for outcomes, the outcomes of what we, what we build, the outcomes of the dreams we draw. And that's a path towards having the kind of impact we talk about having or wanting to have today. I think you're absolutely right. Everybody always complains that, quote unquote, we don't have a seat at the table. But <laughs> one of the ways would be to, to maybe find ways to claim more responsibility for the afterlife of buildings. Yeah, I'd somehow. like to interrupt you there because it's interesting because there's so many parallels. You know, Internet technology is this very young profession. Yeah. And like all young things, it's you know, maybe it's like maybe it's like 14 years old, so it's got this incredible intelligence and ability to learn, but it's not very wise. Uh-huh. People are kind of petty as an industry. But I would say designers in, our, in, in the internet industry, it's the exact same dynamic. Oh, I want a seat at the table. And what I've learned over the last few years is if you want a seat at the table, you just have to take one. Yeah. You, know, you have to show that you can yeah. be strategic. You have to demonstrate your ability to run things, own things. Yeah. And when you do that, you don't have to, to talk about a seat. You just take a seat. And um, I think it's much more daunting in architecture. It's a much more complex and slow-moving and expensive thing. But maybe that means it's more impactful as well and worth trying. Well, Evan, it's really a great pleasure to have you and also to have this conversation. And I'm very excited for tonight and for everyone to have the opportunity to hear you speak. So thank you so much. Thank you, Amal. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.